It's Sunday, July 31st, and you're listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. P&P is a baseball podcast interrupted by a movie discussion between two old friends. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana, and this week on Peanuts and Popcorn, the MLB trade deadline is tomorrow. We'll talk about the trades that have happened while speculating on those yet to come. How many of you know about the magic mud from the Delaware River that helps pitchers get a grip? We'll reminisce about Will Clark and Greg Maddox in a time when pitchers didn't try to conceal their mound discussions. Pete Rose will make an appearance in Philadelphia to commemorate the 1980 World Series team, and we have the latest from the Cubs and Sox. Finally, our popcorn discussion is on the W.C. Fields classic, The Bank Dick. Tom, how are you doing? I, I, I think I'm a little bit on the chip this morning, So, uh, but uh, how are you doing? I'm good. I, I, I took the dog for a walk, an energetic walk. Yeah, is that good. a euphemism for something, or is, yeah, do you well, really have a dog? She got a workout. She's sitting here right at my feet. She's fed. She's happy. I'm happy. That's but, important. Uh, but I'm teaching my son to drive. That's yeah. the big thing this week. And uh, and basically what that means is I'm letting him drive while I'm in the car. And yeah. we started where I would drive to Oakton College. You ever been there? Have you ever been now, to Oakton, Oakton College? No, I don't think I have. I know where that's at, but I don't. It's, I in, it's between it's between Displains and Glenview, right yeah. in the middle of the yes. Forest Preserve. And what it is, it's built on stilts because it's in the middle of a great big floodplain from the Displains River. Mm-hmm. So, but they have these huge parking lots and these islands, and so we drive around there, and you know, it's kind of scary. I mean, all he he's very very how do I say it abrupt with the yeah. brake. And it's tough. Yeah, no, I know. That, that's that's okay. He's got his whole life to figure that out. I know, I know. But, <laughs> but but finally, I forced him to to actually put the car on the road. I'm like, okay, you're going to make a right here on the golf road, and you're going to turn. And he did it. Yeah. Done it a few times. You know, I've been having him drive to his track practice, and then I just drive drive the car home. So this is all part of, you know, I mean, he's at least a little careful. You know, if not overly so, but he doesn't know what to look for yet. You know, well, this reminds me of a joke. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. A, a man and his wife and they have a cat. The wife loves the cat. The, the, the man hates the cat. So one day the wife's gone. The man decides I'm going to take the cat park. It's about a mile away. And I'm just going to leave it there. So he drives the cat to the park, leaves the cat. He drives home and the cat's waiting for him on the porch when he gets home. And he's like, what the hell? So the next day. He takes the cat and he drives it 10 miles away, drops the cat off. He gets home. The cat's waiting on the porch for him. So the third day, he's like, this is crazy. He turns left. He turns right. He goes a mile. He turns left. He goes right to the left, dumps him, dumps the cat off. Then he calls the wife. And he goes, uh, put the cat on the phone. She goes, why? He goes, I'm lost. <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. That's funny. That that's that also reminds me of the song "The Cat Came Back." It's a children's song, yeah. and the cat came back. It should. You look, look it up on YouTube. It's, yeah, you know uh, we don't have a cabaret license, Leo. So no, we don't. Be a we problem don't. there. But we do so, want to, you know, as, as as a nod to our sort of focus on film, we do want to acknowledge the passing of Paul Sorvino uh, at the age of I think 86. And this is a man that. who this is a man of great culture. Uh, he was a great talent. He was an opera singer. He was an actor. He was a pool player. He played yes. pool. Yes. He would be a fixture 
at these pro-am tournaments, you know, for ESPN. These are kind of, you know, it's the big leagues for pool. And he would show up. But uh, a gentle, a kind man. And uh, he gave birth to a beautiful daughter, Mira Sorvino. Yes. And I think that uh, it's been a tough week for gangsters. Yeah. You know, if you yeah. were in a gangster, if you played a gangster in a movie, you know. Of or a TV. I mean, they talk about it just in the last month, you know. It really kind of started with uh, with Ray, Ray Liotta's death. Um, you know, from Goodfellas. And so, and um, Walnuts and yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony Sirocco died. And um, so, yeah, for, for me personally, the indelible image when I think of, of, of Paul is just the garlic and the razor blade. Yes. Prison. yes. And he's slicing it thin. And there's been many times when I've been slicing garlic where I was like, you know, I should just go get a razor blade and do it like Paul Sabino <laughs> did. Uh, so rest in peace, Paul. And no, he, was a, he was a gentle giant. He always wanted to be an opera singer. He didn't want to be yeah. a gangster. Just yeah. just throw that out there. He, he towed the line in uh, Law and Order, too, like so many mm-hmm. actors, you know. Right. He was a bad guy and a good guy. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. a great, a, sad, but he lived a very long life. As a big man, I'm, I'm always impressed when a big man like him lives well into his well, 80s. He was, yeah. he was a big man at certain points of his life. Yeah. So I, 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 I don't know if you've been following this, but uh, there's a thing on monkeypox. I know that So for when, when COVID hit you as a school teacher particularly hard, it changed how you have to teach. You know, it, ch- it changed how you ultimately were able to you know, uh, reach children, uh, you know, and and it's my understanding that monkeypox, you can catch it through sex. So as a married man, I'm not at risk. (laughs) Actually, yeah, I think that it's mostly been transmitted recently through gay sex. Right. Diseases don't have sexual preferences. The point no, is, no, but I'm just saying that they yeah. ultimately expand into the general yeah. population. And, and I'm just wondering, is, as a teacher, what have you been hit by any of that? Has there been any levels no, no, that have come out? Obviously, because we're not in school; it's summer. But right. uh, but I, I don't think it'll be an issue. No, I'm t- I guess I'm talking about for the next uh, season coming in. Have you, or is or is that still too early for that? No, still too early for us. Still too early for us. You know, I mean, we'll see if there are any outbreaks of anything as we get closer to school and we all have to remain flexible and we have to pivot at a moment's notice. But that's yeah. the way it goes. Right. You know? So uh, but before we get on to baseball talk, I just wanted to kind of let the show know that uh, next week uh, we have a, a little interruption as I am going downstate to um, uh, on Saturday the 6th. Um, for the retirement, the all, long overdue retirement of Lou Whitaker's number one jersey at Tiger Stadium. Wow. And so, yeah, I bet we we actually bought these tickets last year. Um, and we're actually planning a Hall of Fame trip for 2024 as we anticipate that he will be finally put in by the Veterans Committee because there is a lot of yeah. talk. However, once your number is retired and the politics around that in baseball, that oftentimes puts you on the fast track. Uh, yeah, no, and it's, it's long say, overdue. Yeah, I was about to say, Tom, because, you know, a ceremony like this. Yeah. And it's been far too long since the Tigers, you know, they, they should have done this years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think a right. ceremony like this, a moment of recognition, 
makes the veteran sit up and take notice. And the, and, and the thing about this is, is that Whitaker's numbers are criminally yeah. good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. Right. I mean, right. it's cra- in the sense that it is criminal that he is not in. If you look at what he accomplished as a player, I mean, it is it is a crime that he is not in. And I think that this will really herald that induction. So that, I'm really glad to hear you're going to that game. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. About I, I will give you a full report. I have my Lou Whitaker T-shirt being shipped to my house here in a couple of days. It's a uh, it's the classic Detroit, but it's Whitaker with number one on the back. And I'll be wearing that proudly at the stadium next Saturday. So I'll give this show a full report upon my return. But we won't be having a show on the 7th. So all right. Well, I'll word it up. Oh, yeah. Now when I was a young boy At the age of five My mother said I was gonna be The greatest man alive But now I'm a man Way past 21 Let's get to the other stuff, and we'll begin with the trade deadline, which is, I think, Tuesday? Is it Monday? Today's the third. It's no, the it's, Tuesday. it's like Tuesday towards Tuesday, the end of yeah. the day, Tuesday, like 5 or 6, I think. At the end 6 p.m. Eastern time, so 5 o'clock here in the Midwest. Uh, the Dodgers made a trade. I don't know. The there, there was a big thing about uh, what, what are well, the, well, the, the Dodgers brought in the Cubs uh, relief pitcher Martin. Uh, yeah, right. But, but the, well, so far, the biggest move has been the Mariners signing Castillo from the yeah, Reds. Castillo, right, right. And who did the Reds get? Did they get the Reds? Probably got some young players. I think that that helps them long term. The thing that was surprising for me is that that Otani is still being bandied about and that I really would love to see him on the Cubs. I think if he were on the Cubs, I would just be flipping out. If I were a Cubs fan, that yeah. would be best. If you could pull that trade off and there must be some things that you could ply them with, you know, he doesn't make all that much money. I don't know. I think the Cubs would be great. Pair him yeah. with Suzuki. I think it would be the greatest thing that ever happened to the Cubs. Well, um, I would go after Soto. I think Soto is the best. First of all, he's younger. He's the best young bat in the in the game. Yeah. I like I like Otani too. I can't even believe Otani's being talked, but I can't believe that they're talking about Soto either. He's a once in a generation hitter. Yeah. And Washington, you guys are fools if you let him go. I don't care if you get seven players for him. I'll bet you in three or four, or let's put it this way: in ten or twelve years, when he's having wrapping up his Hall of Fame career, we will be struggling to remember any of the names of those players you got. That's what yeah. I think. That's oftentimes the case. Well, well, you know, there is the fact that if you look at the first like three or four seasons of, of Soto's career, you know, he's on a par with the greatest players in the history of the game. You know, not just that he, he is he is doing stuff that even Ted Williams didn't do, which was if he faces the same pitcher in a night three yeah. times. His batting average by the third at bat is like 350 against those pitchers. And I don't care who the pitcher is. It doesn't matter what the arm is. He makes in in at bat adjustments like no player in the game. No, he's, and he's 22 years old. <laughs> he's a young uh, he, I've never this is rare that you see the young hitter who hits like a veteran. 
Yes. You know what I mean? It, 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 he's talented, but right. he has the, the, the wisdom and the savvy of a veteran hitter. And it, it is remarkable. But if I was the Cubs, I would go after him. But I, you know, again, you're dealing what with what's his name, his uh, his agent. I'm not so sure that uh, um, that 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 he has a great relationship with the Cubs. And I don't, I, I, I for just some reason, I just don't think the Cubs are at play for that. I think I think of the Yankees when I think of Soto. It's scary, but that's it what I think. Scary. It is scary. You know, but you know, you know Judge hit his right 40s. Now. Judge hit his 42nd home run yesterday. 40 seconds on par to hit 65, which is a legitimate 65. He's well, not on steroids. This he's just he's country strong, as they like to say. He's a big boy. And, and, and get, the fact is, get, yeah. if they had Soto in that outfield, oh my God, it, it you know, they could win 130 games, I think. I mean, it's just it, well, it, they'd have to pay a king's ransom for it. You but know? They, they don't have a problem. And I wanted to just kind of throw this out there because the Dodgers are sniffing around this stuff, too. So the Dodgers could be making a big play. Does the luxury tax not mean anything to you guys? Because seriously, the luxury tax that the Dodgers and the Yankees in Boston for a little while was paying was in excess to what the whole salary was for like Miami, you know, full team, Seattle. It's just it blows my mind that th- that the haves versus the have-nots are willing to spend so much money to win a title. Well, therein lies the challenge, young man. I mean, that, and and that's the thing about baseball. It's that that it's unpredictable enough that a team might come along and dash those aspirations. I mean, even the highest payroll and the greatest players doesn't guarantee you anything. No. You know, and and what 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 is remarkable to me is that Washington and and California, for that matter, can't find ways to win with these players, that they're so terrible with them that they're forced to train them. Well, these are two different stories, though. The the Angels should be great. Washington divested itself of his players last year. It's a different, you, you know, they're not on the same par. The Angels, what's going on with the Angels? By the way, since they fired Madden, they've gotten worse. It's not Madden. It's not Madden. I, we knew Madden. that. We yeah. knew that. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And we have a much larger sample. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's uh, It's been fun to watch. Uh, I think the Reds fans, the Reds fans are, they said they're sort of warm goodbyes to Luis Castillo as he went on to Seattle. Right. And I hear that what they got in return is good. The Reds need to be good. And we always talk about this, that yeah. it, how important it is for small market teams to be relevant Yep. But the Reds are a team that's forced to sort of retool and refit every single year, like the Pirates, like the Royals, you know. How right right Cubs- now, that team this year is is either Baltimore or Seattle, because both of those teams have been hot lately. Seattle's kind of cooled off. But the Orioles, uh, they're playing 500 baseball. No one expected that. That was the one of the worst teams in baseball from last year. So every year, it seems like, you know, you you're right. You, one of the small market team ha, has teams has to be pesky enough that it causes agita for the Yankees out there. The you know, a Tampa Bay has to beat the Yankees from time to time. It's just good for baseball. That's what I think. So um, you cited a story in the yeah. Athletic, yeah, um, about uh, a man named well, about a man named Jim Bantliff. Yeah, and this is the guy who who harvests basically the mud out of the Delaware River, bucket by bucket, and he sells it to Major League Baseball, who in turn uses that mud 
okay, to rub up the baseballs to kind of take the scuff off, to, take, to give a scuff, uh, to sort of take the shine off of it. That's right. To, you know, to and, take uh, the sheen off the ball. The balls are still white, but they're not reflecting light, as it were. And, uh, and, and it comes from a special place. One guy gets it, and it goes back to, uh, I guess, his – to a, to a former player by the name of Lena Blackburn. And this is a yes. guy who's a player, a manager, right? Yep. And a, and what else? He was also an owner, perhaps? Or I, what? I think he might have been on the White Sox, if I'm not yep. mistaken, at one time. But, yes, he's the one that started this, and now it's become – well, let's put it this way. All major league teams use – the Lena Blackburn mud, which this guy, Jim Bantliff, the way they described it in the story, it was yeah. like he drives out to the spot and there's like a bat cave and he's got to go, you know, look yeah. around to see if anybody's watching him. And then he goes 100 yards to a mysterious place and he grabs this, you know, this 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 gold like mud yeah. uh, and, and everybody uses the same mud. The part the part that was interesting to me is we live in a capitalist society. I am shocked. Yeah. That there's not another mud competitor out there. I know. There's, so, there's this not is so mud. unscientifically scientific that it makes you scratch your head. But that's the thing is that he's got them by the balls. He's, yeah. you know, Major League Baseball, I think if, if we're up to them, they would just be done with this guy years ago. And they would have been yeah. on something else. Something These are not sweaty balls. Yeah. These are muddy balls. Big well, difference. I mean, and, and they would go for something more efficient, more cost effective if they could. They want to just. Oh, but yeah. the problem is, is that his stuff is really the only stuff that works as right. well as it does. Right. And I, I, I don't know what the deal is. I love that he kind of has them, and I love that MLB depends on this just sort of unofficial mud. You know, mud. What, what is official about mud? You know, well, but it adds to the mythology of baseball. It does. That, it's like this is one of those things that you don't have football. You don't have people doing this except Tom Brady trying to take air out of footballs. But usually you don't. What I'm saying is you don't see the manipulation of the main object of the sport like like something like this. Like at hockey, I don't think they I think they freeze the pucks or they do something weird with them. But they don't. No one rubs up their, you know, the sporting object. Can you imagine a soccer ball being rubbed in mud? Yeah, no, I know, I know. <laughs> well, and 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 it's funny because minor changes have tremendous effects on the ball. And if you didn't have that, you know, these balls would escape the control of pitchers. Hitters would be getting hit in the head, and so on and so forth. And so you have to have this. It's also part of the visuals too, as it's coming out of the pitcher's hand. Light reflecting off the ball that has right, a higher sheen right. is harder for the hitter to see. So yeah. These are all, I mean, he's, he's got them. Uh, I hope that uh, this continues, and yeah. I hope that baseball maintains connections. Because I think that baseball should also be about maintaining connections to the past. And this is why I was so upset when they made the designated hitter universal, because yeah. we lost that connection to, to, the, 18th, to the 19th century. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm, that's a tragedy right there. Well, don't yeah. get me going on that one, because I, you know me, I hate the DH, and if I ran the world, it would be it would be on my executive order list for day one. So. I mean, really, seriously. But anyway, so let's move on. <laughs> um, there was another piece in the Athletic, and we want to cite this yeah. about Will Clark and Greg Maddox, and this was, I think, the 1989 playoffs. Yes. 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 The yes. 1989 playoffs. Yes. I, I I saw this game live uh, at a local tavern in Chicago. As did I. I. I'm sure I saw it. I saw it. I think in my apartment. No, 
this is 89. This was actually before I moved to Chicago. Yeah. But, uh, but, but I do remember this because I was a big baseball fan. So I was living right. in St. Louis at the time. And there's a, there's a moment when Clark comes up and he was already two for two, three for three in the game. And, and he uh, ended up being three for four. So yeah, something like that. Yeah. And so he comes up with the bases loaded and Zimmer goes out to the mound to talk it over with Maddox. This is who's, who's five foot nine. Who's five foot nine. Right. And this is a time when, you know, managers like to leave their starting pitchers in games and not yeah. necessarily go to the bullpen at the first sign of trouble. So a novel idea. So, so the situation, it's almost laughable to talk about it. Yeah. Because the situation is bases loaded, you know, uh, the guy's already two for two, and he's thinking about taking, you know, leaving his starter in, right. and and Zimmer is talking to Maddox about it, and Zimmer, twenty three year old Maddox, he's only yeah. twenty, and he is standing on the mound with his back to home plate, but Zimmer's only five nine, and he's on the upslope, and Maddox is on top of the mound, and so. Will Clark has a great look at Maddox's mouth, and he says, fastball inside. And he cru- he got a fastball inside, and he crushed it for a home run. Right. Having one of the, He had one of the greatest playoff series in the history of the game, you know, but a lot of it was predicated on that one at bat. Well, not and just so- that, but, but they're saying that that's what started the era that we see today, which is the gloves over the pitcher's mouths when they're talking yeah, to their yeah, players. Yeah. And now – now they, you're, they're using electronics. They don't even have to do that. They, they can just be in each other's ears. The catcher has to be, but the, you know, the pitcher, but still, they still do, still u- utilize that today. But it's just so much different now with this wireless stuff. Did you see in the, I think it was the All-Star game, Nestor Cortez was, uh, they had him and the catcher mic'd up. Yes. And they were both, they were both yes. okay, talk to me. What do you got? What do you got? He's yep. like, okay, fastball up and in. Yeah. And, and he, they were, that was really cool, you know. That- and Cortez is on my award-winning fantasy team, by the way. That's about to go 14 and two, 11 straight wins. Um, but Cortez was not hitting his spots. Where Maddox, Maddox was, his control was, was legendary. Big. I mean, yeah. this guy, he did not miss his spot when he said fastball in. It was a fastball in. Whereas Cortez, if you saw a couple of those pitches, they didn't go exactly where he said they were going to go. Which no, no, is concerning for me as his fantasy baseball manager. But anyways, <laughs> I digress. No, but that's true. But that but that did start it, and that's what's led to this whatever this uh, device is, where they they they're allowed to communicate with one another. And I think that this was inevitable. Uh, but but it is funny. You know you know, you know so- who started this was Tony Larusa because it was his life lock. He was using <laughs> his 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 life lock uh, because he had fallen. But he was able to get back up, and, and that was like somebody's idea went off. Next thing you know, Jed's a millionaire. But anyway. Started. But um, all right, let's quickly mention that Pete Rose. Oh, no. Make an appearance uh, in Philadelphia as part of a celebration uh, of the 1980 World Series team. Now, you and, violated your promise never to talk about Pete Rose again. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> yes, I did. I violated my promise. Yeah, I owe myself a dollar. Yeah, but, uh, you know, so – Obviously, the larger issue is that Pete Rose is banned from baseball. He's banned from working or earning a living within Major League Baseball. And it's, I think, supposed to apply to appearances like this. But the front office or Major League Baseball administratively has allowed the Reds and other teams like the Phillies, if they want to have their own individual celebrations, they can bring Pete out. 
And yeah. I guess I don't begrudge him that, you know, but 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 again, it brings up the discussion as well as to whether or not he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about this and and people will say, oh, well, they're going to wait until he's dead. Like, yeah. that's what they want him. There is no they. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. If, if we wanted Pete Rose, if we wanted Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame, he would be in the Hall of Fame. Do, do, do you know why they say that, Leo? Because what? it seemed be, uh, uh, that uh, the whole idea that he goes in after he dies, because it seems like the right penalty. That's why. I, I, I'm serious. There is no they when it comes to that. Most people think that eventually you would have a guy that had 4,200 hits in the Hall of Fame. I mean, but I think that that's what, in fact, is going to happen. I went to baseball reference to just look at his numbers yep. this morning. Yep. And I was like drawn by a couple of things with him. The fact is he has over 3000 singles, Yeah. which again, that that's unbelievable unto itself. Yes. So he was primarily a singles hitter. If you add up all of his extra bases, they yep. basically add up to a thousand. The other thing, he was a minus 13.2 career defensively. And yep. that takes his war which was shockingly low. His war is only four four ahead of Lou Whitaker. He's at 79. And yeah. the reason is, is because defensively, yeah. particularly the end of his career defensively, he was porous. And so yeah. there's no love loss with me or you with Pete Rose. We've always said that. But as far as I'm concerned, eventually all these guys are going to go in. But my pedal, I still say, wait till he dies and then throw him in. He doesn't get to, he doesn't get to enjoy it. That's his penalty. You know, that's, I know you're like, the last time we talked, you said, I don't even care about it anymore. I know. And I think that's what's going to end up happening. And you're right. And, and, and there was a point, and I've always said this, where uh, that I'm done advocating for that man. You yeah, know, that. Right. His journey to get into the Hall of Fame is now his problem. It is not mine. You know what I mean? I'm I'm cutting him off. You betcha. Yeah. So um, quickly, I want to we want to get through the Chicago baseball because there were some yeah. big dramatic things that happened. And uh, the first for was there was a very emotional goodbye to Wilson Contreras at Wrigley Field because it was the last game of a homestand and it was his last at bat of the game. And they were going away on a road trip after, which would take them past the trade deadline. So everybody knows that they were going to trade him. So they wanted to say goodbye. And they stood up through the entire bat. And Wilson got a little misty-eyed. And, you know, and again, it, it it's just the frustration that I feel that the Cubs have such a wonderful player in Contreras and that they can't find ways, given their resources, to compete. Why do we have to say goodbye to this man? Yeah, well, I said the same thing. It's it's almost like I've become uh, immune to what the what the Cubs are doing because I want to be able to believe that you know there's a bag of rainbows out there. That meaning that in 2024, 2025, the Cubs start to ascend and they're a powerhouse again. That's got to be the only thing that can possibly happen here. Otherwise. I have to go back and look at the facts, which are, if you go back to 2017, the first year after the championship, they were 92 and 70. That's really, really good. That's enough to win. Many teams have won the World Series with that record. The next year, they were even better. They were 95 and 68. Then they were 84 and 78. And then, whoa, bye-bye Joe Madden. In yeah. comes Ross. They're 34 and 26 in the COVID year and 71 and 91 Last year, oh, wow. um, 
So all I can tell you is, is that the Cubs are going backwards. They're yeah. not going yeah. for So after Theo left, there has been a precipitous decline in um, the it Cubs is uh, it, right results. It's yeah. both. Of, it's it, you know don't confuse activity with results. They don't have the results. They're playing all the games. That's the activity, but they don't have the results. And you know, I just think we've been. But if if in 2024 and 2025 they are a powerhouse, I will eat my hat. And you're absolutely right. It's just been my observation over time. You can't count on that happening. In other words, you can't keep giving up all-stars and t- and getting these tremendous loads in. That doesn't mean you're going to have a great team. You could, but it doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a great team. They need to get, for, for, for a guy like Contreras, they need to get, I would say, two or three players. You know, yeah. young players yeah. in return. You know, they, they need to have high-level prospects. This is, uh, this is about assets, I guess. And uh, it's a cold business. It is. And and the White Sox will tell you just how cold it is. You know, I got up so early this morning. I was doing so many other things. I didn't even know the White Sox win last night. Yeah. Yeah. Did they win last night? Yeah. Yeah. Hendricks got the win, actually. They won in in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, The South Slider got the win? Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you. We're always measuring this team's success in terms of 19-game stretches. And they went through a 19-game stretch against, like, the Indians and the Twins. And they were, like, 11 – what were they, 11 and 8? You know, let, let, me, let, me, let me just give you the sobering news. In the last 30 games, they were 17 and 13, which is great. The which last 20 great. games, 11 and 9. And the last 10 games, 5 and 5. They're, get, they're, they're actually they're, – they're, they're basically playing the same. And part of the problem is – I have to throw this out there – is Lance Lynn was thought to be – this panacea, and he oh, he yeah. really and, and because he's coming off this injury, it's going to take him a while to get right. He struggled a little bit. The Sox just they're just in a bad way. I I, I feel bad. You know, here's the weird thing: the Cubs are in the top ten in the last 10, 20, 30 games. The Cubs are playing well. They're unloading their team, but they're actually playing well. That that's it's yeah. the shocking thing is I think if the Cubs play the Sox seven games, the Cubs wins the series. Yeah. And that's the Sox. You should be ashamed of yourself. They're, uh, they're, seriously. They're not. I mean, they have some interesting parts, but then they just they're they never fail to shoot themselves in the foot. Like this right. thing with Tim Anderson making contact with the umpire and he's going to get a three game suspension. You know, it's just things so, like that. that so they, did, didn't La, didn't Larusa get suspended too? But weren't they both in on that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Larusa, and then so, and then Larusa. You know, Sox fans are rising up against him. They want to yeah. see him fired, and it and it so it's eerily similar to the team in '83. It's eerily similar to the White Flag year. I think yeah. that was in the '90s, '95. Right. I think it was. Right. I think we're twenty. You know, we're, we're like twenty years removed from that. You know, it, it's funny how how this team just can't seem to get started. And, you know, they're three games out. They're tantalizingly close. They're right there. They could just, if they could just get hot, you know, they could, yeah. they could win the World Series. They can't catch the baseball. Maybe they should start by doing that first. And because yeah. they, they built a, literally a team of DHs. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, decent pitching staff. I don't really have a fault the pitching staff of no, the, the Sox, even though they haven't really performed. They've been injured. They've been injured. The, the injuries that the Sox have, have 
suffered through is worse than the Cubs, that's for sure. But I, I would have, I have to say, you know, at some point, the, so the, apparently the Sox are not are not going to be doing anything big at the deadline, which to me is a mistake. If they if they have the core of a great team there, but I don't think this is a playoff team. I mean, if you're Rick Hahn and you're approaching the deadline, is this the kind of team that you're willing to risk future assets to save? And I would say the answer is no, it's not. Right. You know, it's not. And I think that if you're Rick Hahn, you also believe that Tony La Russa is not the manager you need to get this team to win. You know, that you're, you're providing the talent necessary, I think you feel. But this man, this relic, right. isn't getting it done. This man who's sort of, I think, backwards in his thinking, he always seems to be behind the other managers in terms of making decisions and getting pitchers prepared to come into games. It, it, it's a difficult, I think there's a lot of pressure on Rick Hahn. I think if he decides not to improve the team, La Russa will be fired for it. But I think Hahn may be fired for it eventually too. It may cause Hahn to lose his job. Yeah, you know, I don't know. The, the, the Sox since La Russa has taken over, taken the helm, it's been, almost been like they're a microcosm, just like their manager. They, they've slowly decomposed over time. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I see La Russa, particularly again, the night games, he looks like the Crypt Keeper. I'm just going to throw that out there. It's it's not a good look. Uh, I feel it, bad for you. That's they not just look, The Sox look lost and, and they've got way too much. Like I said, I think that you'd be surprised if the Cubs played the Sox. I really do. That the, You would be surprised that oh, yeah, the no. Cubs actually kind of handled them a little bit. And I think but, deep down, every Sox fan has to believe that as well, that they're they're just not, you know, and, and, and by the way, I, this is always difficult, but I like the White Sox. You know yeah. what I mean? That means I can criticize them. You know, White Sox fans are a little like Trump supporters. You know, right. is that they just any hint of criticism from someone who's not a White Sox fan and they just. They want to storm the Capitol. Fake news. You know, they storm, you know, there's just. <laughs> Today, we honor a man who has been an inspiration to our citizens, a model to our youth. The eminent Egbert Souse. Suzette, <clears throat> uh, Suzette. <laughs> Uh, alias uh, W.C. Fields. We honor him for the fine example he has set as a husband and a father. And above all, for his heroism as a bank dick. What's the matter with you? Captain Lurid? Certainly not. But I think you are. Oh! What are you doing? Just as I was getting some of my money back. Give me that wheel! No! So now we're going to open the bag of popcorn and we go right to Tom's choice for this week. The movie is The Bank Dick. Uh, this is the W.C. Fields classic. It was made in 1940. It was that- released in late 40. I think it was made in 39. So it's made before the United States is involved in the Second World War. That's correct. You know, and so we're hearkening sort of back to a time where, you know, the bank dick is, I think, nostalgic to the 30s and the 20s. It's a movie, I think, born out of the Prohibition era in our country, sort of a leftover from that, sort of hearkening to it. Because because Fields is a is a character that really only Prohibition 
could have produced. <laughs> I mean, this was your selection. Uh, yeah. Tell us why you chose it. So um, it's interesting. I, I, I this film I, I think is is and many people think it's it's one of the greatest comedies ever made. However, if you break the film down from a script standpoint, there's a lot of problems here. Yeah. But sometimes you have to suspend disbelief. And funny is funny. And this funny is one of those funny. one. Yeah. This is one of those films where you just if you try to make sense of what's going on here. Well, that's a joke onto itself. Basically what you have. And I think that Ebert correctly sums this up about Fields. His best work was in the 20s. He was one of the greatest jugglers that ever lived. And so oh, yeah. a, a lot of that stuff was filmed. By the time he reached age 60, he was kind of a, 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 a you know, a character of himself. Um, I think personally that there was the three great funny men of the of the 20th century and three particular men. Fields was one, Richard Pryor, and I thought Sam Kennison towards the end of the 20th century was another guy that it, if you try to break down what they're doing, it's just funny is funny. And, and funny Fields funny. Fields was funny. He looked funny. All, this is a film you have to see. You can't listen to it because all of the little nuances of him and trying to get his hat on and his hat getting caught on the cane. And, and, and it, but just to, you know, for our bewildered fan out there, I'll try to give you the story. Fields plays uh, uh, Egbert Suze, accent Grava, o, out over the E, not Souse. Yeah. But he's a henpecked husband. Yeah. who's, uh, you know, he's, he takes money out of his kid's uh, piggy, bank and put, piggy bank and puts an IOUs. He's that kind of guy. But yeah. basically, he's a drunkard. You know, he's at the Black uh, Pussycat Cafe all day. He runs into an opportunity to get back into directing a film. That lasted for a day. Later that day, he becomes the bank dick. And improbably, they think that he uh, stopped a robbery when nothing could be further from the truth. And he milks that into a job to becoming the bank dick. And then to the exploits bank that basically guard the know. bank detective, they used to call him uh, dicks back then hotels had him. And, uh, so anyways, uh, and it's just, my wife watched this movie with me about 15 years ago, 15 years ago. And she said, now it all makes sense. You've patterned your life after Egbert. Yeah, this is who you want to be. This is who. <laughs> this is your idol. This is your. This is your Betty Davis. You know. Yeah. You know, but uh. But you know when you watch when you watch Fields work. Yeah. You know, there's such a nimble grace. Yeah. Oh yeah. Way that he uses his hands. Correct. You know whether it's holding a pool cue or whether it's getting into a fight with a child, yeah. you know what I mean, or whether it's lighting a cigar. Whether he's taking and and you're watching this, you're like, this guy is completely stupid. Yeah. But then he does something, you're like, you you laugh out loud. Correct. You know, he hands the steering wheel. Hey, right. give me the wheel. Like, you know, they're driving <laughs> a car going 70 miles an hour. The guy says, you're going to crash. Give us the wheel. And he grabs it. Here, you take it. He takes it right off. It's a terrible gag, but it's still hilarious. You know. Yeah, he's driving that car. He goes, the resale value practically nil after this. Say, <laughs> so, hey, is that gun loaded? <laughs> Certainly not. No, the best line is when he's yeah. in... Hey, say, was I in here last night? And did I spend a $20 bill? And Chef Power goes, yes, you were. And he's like, oh, what a load that is off my mind. I thought I'd lost it. <laughs>
you know, and also politically incorrect. Oh boy, there are oh. some of those lines he said. I was like, holy shit, you would get into trouble today for saying that stuff. No, he, he but but he is he's a great comic figure, and and you know also in making the connection to Paul Sorvino, Fields was a tremendous pool player as well. No, oh, he was a great pool player. You, when you see him doing those gags with the pool cues, yeah, you can tell he has a tremendous stroke. He has a great stroke. He strokes it a few. He does everything to not do it, but there's a couple times where he just follows through and gives a straight one, even with that crooked cue. And you can tell that that guy is a player. That's yeah, well, you know, he was in vaudeville, and um, the vaudevillian life often meant that you yeah. were an expert pool player because yeah. that's what you did when you weren't on the stage. Um, and he. But like I said, if you really want to check out Fields, go back and look at his old juggling stuff from like 1918 to 22. It's it's all on really bad film. Like if they would have had Fields in his heyday, I think he would be uh, thought of differently today. That's how great of a juggler he was. And so you're right. He was extremely graceful for being a rotund. And as yeah. one writer said, the molten, the moltenizing of his face uh, through his alcoholism, you know, there's one point where, um, you know, this, uh, you know, this little kid sees him in the bank and says, mommy, look at that, look at that man's nose. And she's <laughs> like, oh, you'd like to have a nose full of nickels like that someday, wouldn't you, little boy? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, uh, if you haven't seen the bank, Dick, and if you haven't seen Fields work, uh, you know, you need to you need to check it out because it's one of the great comic resources that this country's produced. And 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 I just want to mention that he's a figure that uh, I don't know that we sort of that could only have been produced in the United States of America. Right. At a certain time, you know, and, and it's the result of that sort of years and years and years of denial of alcohol and making it illegal and sort of keeping it out of everyone's hands and that sort of desire to possess it and to have it and abuse it. And uh, and, and that's what, you know, Fields is the result of that. Yeah. A man like Fields, you know, a great comedic talent laid low by this the, the, this terrible thing. So is a hodgepodge of some things that actually happened to, to Bill Fields in real life. And so that's why the, I, I just think there's another film by him by the, it's called It's a Gift that arguably is maybe even funnier than this one. This one is a film that I thought would be great for the show because it stands alone. There's the, you never, there's never going to be a bank dick too. No, no, there's <laughs> never going to be a bank dick too. Yeah. I mean, if, if there were, there would have been, if Chris Farley would have lived, maybe. Yeah, right. But, right. Uh, but, but no. So um, I went with a movie that began the genre, okay? Began the genre of the film that that that, that it's in. So it sort of creates it. Yeah. And yeah. it's also a film that's cast has three future Academy Award winners. And it's a movie that's had its 40th anniversary this week, and that's Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Hey, nice pick. All yeah. right. So, uh, so we'll, we'll, I think I will, I look forward to talking about this one, a movie I've seen several times. I know you've seen it. So well, uh, it certainly is a nice uh, bookend to uh, Easy A, because I think there's some parallels there between these. Uh, no, there uh, are, there are. Stories. And, <clears throat> and it's funny that uh, we, that I suggested Easy A, that you enjoyed it. And, uh, and I think that Easy A is one of the better examples of films in that sort of teenage drama genre, but we'll get to that next time. And that's two weeks from today. Is that correct? That's Tom? correct. 
All right. So until then, we are the two peas in a podcast. I'll bang the drum slowly and play the five lowly. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffin. Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall.